2: Happy Tuesday, I'm Isaac Sines and I thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Pro Football Chase Podcast. In today's episode, NFL defensive tackle Jarrell Worthy and I recap wildcard weekend and preview the divisional round of the playoffs. We also break down all the recent head coach hirings. is the pro football chase podcast a podcast that has featured interviews with rams wide receiver robert woods
3: to a thousand yards uh, and you know last year unfortunately got hurt mid mid way in the season but other than that just just working and grinding to, to get to this point and uh probably broke it with a lot of games left
2: packers wide receiver marquez valdez scantling uh
4: just
2: the fact that we got a uh, you know uh, all pro on the other side of the ball um you know, Devontae. Um, so when you
3: got a guy like that, you know, that's just going to get the main focus. Um, obviously, you know, people start to know my name a little bit after I made a few plays here and there.
2: Broncos offensive guard Ronald
3: Leary. It would either have to be a counter or uh, a pin, pin and pull play when we get on the edge and run. Uh, I think it's always impressive when big guys can Get out that stance and move and hit somebody. So.
2: In rising stars, Dalton Risner, Charles Amenahu, and Jawan Williams. This is a podcast that offers player perspectives from some well decorated veterans, including TJ Hushman Zada. And people
3: will say, oh, well, is that crust got a franchise quarterback? Uh, look, look at his record, doesn't it? It tells you he is. Oh, he has a great defense. He has his You tell me a quarterback in the entire NFL that's not time break. That does more with that. Game
2: previews, recaps, and analysis. Turn the volume up. The chase is on, and the chase is live. Good afternoon everybody. Welcome into the Pro Football Chase Podcast. It's Isaac Signs with you. My co-host, NFL defensive tackle Jarrell Worthy on the other line. We're ready to talk about some playoff football as we move to the divisional round starting on Saturday and into Sunday. But first things first, my brother Jarrell, how you doing today?
3: Man, I'm doing excellent, man. I'm um, so excited for this week uh, of games coming up. Um, it's a lot of different storylines, a lot of moving pieces going around in the NFL, man, so I'm ready to dive in right in.
2: Well, let's get right with it. The Dallas Cowboys worked quickly. They officially announced that Jason Garrett would not return on Sunday, and then promptly a day after announced that Mike McCarthy was going to be their next head coach, and it seemed like McCarthy went in for an interview after Marvin Lewis, the former Bengals head coach who's on Herm Edwards staff there at Arizona State they interviewed Marvin Lewis briefly and then they went with Mike McCarthy and their interview went so well that it lasted through Saturday and into Sunday and so the Cowboys made it official on all their social media sites earlier this afternoon that they will introduce Mike McCarthy as the new head coach of the Dallas Cowboys on Wednesday afternoon so Jarrell you were selected by the Green Bay Packers Mike McCarthy there in Green Bay, very familiar with him, his structure, his philosophy. So give me your take on how this hiring for the Dallas Cowboys will shape up.
3: I personally think it's, uh, it's an excellent hire for the Dallas Cowboys. Um, one of a few reasons. Um, having been under his tenure, uh, my first three years in the NFL, I can tell you that number one, he is a leader of men. I understand that you know his last couple seasons didn't necessarily uh farewell in green bay it was uh you know it was just a clash of two uh two dominant figures as far as in the organization and so at the end of the day some the best thing is to do is kind of part ways when you've uh when you've uh, reached a, a point in which you can't uh move past but i think as far as the the things that i've seen i know that he's gonna he's gonna teach the dallas cowboys number one is not to be able to uh, he's going to teach them not to be able to uh, to beat themselves. Uh, he's going to give them opportunities to be ahead in the game. He's going to come up with a philosophy that number one depends on the run first. I want to make that a point of emphasis because a lot of people uh, have a lot of criticism when it comes to uh, his last few years in Green Bay, thinking that he's a pass first uh, type of guy. When you have the two time MVP and arguably one of the best quarterbacks in the game, you know as we've seen it before. Um, in situations like with in, Nor- in New Orleans uh, with Drew Brees, we've seen it in situations in New England with Tom Brady. When you have when you get into situations where you cannot run the football, you have to throw the ball 45, 50 times a game. And I think when the, the Packers had their their uh, the most success that they had as far as uh, as far as going deep into the playoffs and even winning the Super Bowl. They had the running. They had the running game uh, moving. They had Ryan Grant back there during their Super Bowl run. Eddie Lacy doing his Pro Bowl run. Uh, James Stark. Uh, even uh, at some point in time, uh, rest in peace. They they were able to to have the services of of, uh, of Cedric Benson. And so at the end of the day, uh, Mike McCartney understands how important the run is. In order to set up the big, the big splash plays uh, that that you see downfield, the the deep balls that a lot of people would like to cheer for for Aaron Rodgers uh, throwing those on point, it's predicated off the run, um, having great play action pass, and having uh, the giving the illusion in which uh, you're you're going to run on 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 odd plays and. And at the end of the day, it gave them an opportunity to be successful. And I think Mike McCarty is going to be able to do the same things with, with Dak Prescott if, if Jerry Jones wants him to return and, uh, and giving the ball to Zeke a lot. Um, I think uh, to just piggyback off the things I've said, Dallas has the offensive line. They have everything that they need. They have the pass rushers. They have the defense. Uh, ha- hiring uh, hiring Mac- Mike Nolan as their defensive coordinator – with all this type of success that he had in New Orleans and and the, the growth and development of Demario Davis. I mean, he was already a great player before he got there, but the elevation in his play uh, during Mike Nolan's tenure there, it, it just speaks volumes to the impact that he's going to be able to have. And he comes into a group of young talented linebackers already, uh, ready, ready to, to continue to make their splash on the game. And so I think at the end of the day, man, the right pieces are falling into place for the Dallas Cowboys.
2: I saw something really interesting because they did a behind the scenes look at Mike McCarthy and what he was doing during this uh, 2019 season that he was off as a head coach and he watched a lot of film and I think uh, Tom Pellicero of NFL Network did this special with him and Mike McCarthy said that he had actually watched a lot of tape on Dak Prescott and He recognized his strengths, you know, as a passer, not only in the pocket, but outside the pocket and identified some plays that would suit Prescott very well and obviously very intrigued by Dak Prescott, assuming that he does return as he's set for unrestricted free agency. But he also pointed out one play on film that he really fell in love with, in a sense, and it was drawn up by Kellen Moore, who, by the way, he's interested in bringing back as his offensive coordinator. Now, Moore is also mulling the idea of taking the University of Washington's offensive coordinator job. So we don't know if he's going to return yet. But nonetheless, Mike McCarthy clearly had the Dallas Cowboys on his radar watching film. And so... As a Cowboy fan, I mean, I like the hire. You look at his record, 125-77-2, 13 seasons at the helm in Green Bay, Super Bowl champion in 2010. And, you know, a lot of people will say it's all Aaron Rodgers. And, yes, the guy is an incredible quarterback. He's sensational. But McCarthy had a big hand in helping develop Aaron Rodgers, which is something that not a lot of people want to give him credit for. And so, to your point, Jarrell, I do think that you can come into Dallas with – a team that's ready to win now and find some success. And then Mike Nolan, as you just talked about, the upcoming defensive coordinator for the Cowboys – He's had a stint as a head coach with the San Francisco 49ers, and his defenses have finished in the top 10 in points allowed on eight different occasions because he's had quite the resume as a D.C. So, you know, I think that can be a good hire for defense. And I was going to talk about Demario Davis and A.J. Klein, the linebackers there in New Orleans that have really been playing some stellar football. So in the end, I think the Dallas Cowboys made the right hire and it's no reason why they made the hire quickly as we saw the other head coaching dominoes fall today.
3: Yeah, it's been a lot of things that's been sh- uh, taking place around the league. We still haven't got word from the Cleveland Browns yet. I don't know why they're taking so long to pull the trigger. I think these candidates are continuing to roll off the board. But really just to, to, to continue feedback on what's been taking place in Dallas um I, I really I, I really like to hire man I like I said he's like we, we've talked about before the development of Aaron Rodgers uh the development of Matt Flynn um I mean let's let's not forget man Matt Flynn left Green Bay for with a 40 million dollar contract going out to Seattle after uh essentially one year um I've been in places where we had to play without Aaron Rodgers for seven weeks with the without with the collarbone and um, we had to go through a shuffle of quarterbacks and, and, you know, Aaron Rodgers coming back uh, for the last game against the Chicago bears on the road. And we were able to take that game and, and, and move into the the, the, the wild card of the playoffs. And so um, at the end of the day, man, he has everything that he needs in Dallas for them to be successful. I think at the end of the day, he is going to rely on the run because they have the offensive line and the running back. You, there's, it, you would be very foolish to refuse to give uh the Zeke the football twenty five to thirty times a game, like they're doing with Derrick Henry out in Tennessee. I think you would be foolish. And so, with everything being said, man, I'm excited to see if McCartney can put this uh, put a, a quality staff together and, and continue his success, man. And just uh, and just to touch in on Kellen Moore, it's just it's just a testament to what his peers and teammates think about him if they want to retain him as offensive coordinator, man. I think that's a that's a uh, that's a heck of an honor. And uh, I don't necessarily know if I would. If I would uh, consider the the college ranks when, when you know at 31 years old, I have opportunity um, to init- to essentially be a head coach one day.
2: Yeah, and Kelvin Moore on un- under his direction, the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, they finished top the charts in in all categories on offense. They were number one in total offense, second in passing, five in rushing, and so they did find some success. With Kellen Moore, young offense of mine, and as you just talked about, Jarrell, I mean, he is a candidate that a lot of people believe can move up the ranks quickly. But nonetheless, I love the hire of Mike McCarthy. I think he's going to bring something that the Cowboys have lacked for so long, which is the discipline internally. Mike McCarthy is going to have his players ready on Sunday to play a game, which is something that we often saw under Garrett. The Cowboys came out and looked like they were still sleepwalking.
3: Yeah, um, one thing about uh, Coach McCartney and his philosophy is uh, you practice how you play. So uh, we didn't really necessarily go through a a ton of conditioning. Um, Our our conditioning was how fast we got in and out our drills, how fast we competed against one another. Our practices were very up-tempo. They were high energy. Um, You know, it it was really – it was a big competition. I mean, competing against Aaron Rodgers every day – um, you know, playing playing next to Clay Matthews, B.J. Raji, things got heated. You know, and so at the end of the day, we had we had the success that we had just based off the high level of competition, man. And when you look at this Dallas Cowboys and the overall roster that they have, I think that they have to improve their secondary this year, uh, maybe through maybe through the draft of free agency. Um, They have to give uh, the front seven um, more support, man, to be able to to play free and do what they do. And they have to get in. They have to improve on the interior of their defensive line. If they can improve um, the the defensive tackle play, not necessarily the defensive end play. But if they can add depth in both of those positions, the safety corner and interior defensive line. I mean, the, the Dallas Cowboys are fit to, to to make a push at the playoffs. They're they're fit to compete against um, the Philadelphia Eagles in this playoff. And and um, as far as this division is concerned, and uh, Coach McCartney is going to teach these guys how to not beat themselves, how to not make bonehead plays coming down the stretch, um, pass interference calls, holding penalties, um, clock management is going to be very important. And he's a very he's a very uh, adamant teacher on um situational football so throughout the entire practice man he'll he'll sprinkle in a third and seven with 30 seconds to go to go uh in in order to win the game like he'll he'll sprinkle in a uh eight seconds left on the clock and you have to waste the clock so you're throwing the ball up completely uh towards the ceiling just to waste five six seven you know uh seconds off the clock and it's just always it's always a constant mind game uh, when you're in the when you're in the organization of uh, or in the organization with Mike McCartney at the helm, he's constantly uh, teaching you how to be a smarter and uh, more exquisite football player.
2: Well, you are not alone as one of his former players that are praising this hire. So James Jones on NFL Network was echoing the same sentiments, as well as Brett Favre, who played for Mike McCarthy for a while. He believes he's a good fit for the Dallas Cowboys and Dak Prescott. So. We're going to see how this shakes up, but yes, plenty to talk about with the Dallas Cowboys over free agency. They do need to address the defensive side of the ball, of course, take care of the uncertain futures of Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper. But let's go ahead and move into another team that made their hire official today, Jarrell. The Carolina Panthers hiring Baylor head coach Matt Rule to become their next head coach, and Rule who has been at Baylor the last couple of seasons, has really turned around that program that was dealing with the major fallout of the Art Briles era and all the sexual misconduct that was going on. Rule really just changed the entire culture there. He went 1-11 in 2017, 7-6 in 2018, and this year 11-3 and a bid in the Sugar Bowl. Now, of course, they lost to Georgia, but nonetheless, this guy has been on the NFL radar for the last couple of off seasons, interviewed for a job with the Jets and nearly got that last year as well. But Jarrell, the contract that Matt Rule got from the Carolina Panthers, seven-year deal worth $60 million that with incentives could be worth up to 70 mil. So Jarrell, your thoughts on them hiring a college head coach and giving them that much money?
3: Yeah, I'm. I'm. I think. Um, what's the uh, the owner of the Carolina Panthers? Is David David is Tepper. Yeah, David Tepper. Yeah. Um, I think you know, being a a hedge fund Wall Street type of guy, I think he's trying to push all his chips in on the table, and um, he's he's taking a swing at the fences with this one. I think at the end of the day, uh, Matt Rule has proven to be a, a leader of men. He's proven to be able to change programs into winning programs but these are kids we're talking about, you know, these are, these are young adults. These aren't, these aren't guys that are making, you know, the same exact amount of money that you are. They, they, you know, these are guys that are, that he's going to walk into a locker room uh, with guys that have similar contracts to what he's that and what he's to what he's uh, bringing home. And at the end of the day, he's going to have to be able to translate. I think, You know, from my perspective, uh, the college game and the the NFL game is a lot different, man. It's it's more demanding. Um, It's strenuous. It's stressful uh, mentally and physically. And so you're going to have to be able to to uh, uplift a a group of men that have essentially had a lot of success, but have been down over the last few years. And they're having to. And you're going to have to replace a voice in which everybody loved in the locker room. And so this is going to be a tough uh, battle for him. I don't think David Tepper needed to, to empty the Brinks truck um, with, with six years, $70 million. I don't necessarily think that that, was, that should have been the case. I understand that he possibly probably wanted to get a deal done before him having an opportunity to go up to, the, uh, to, to interview for other teams. But I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we're talking about, you know, the we're talking about Baylor and, you know, we're talking about Temple. We're not talking about them competing for uh, BCS championships year in and year out where, where he's coming from. And I just think that there's a, there's a bunch of uh, proven coordinators that could have had, that could have, uh, you know, easily had an opportunity at this job. And um, I just don't necessarily think that this would be the right move for them, but at the end of the day, he's been proven to be a leader of men, and if he can have an opportunity to revamp this locker room, then more power to you. But I just think that with everything that's been taking place at some of these premier teams, teams that have been accustomed to winning, I just don't necessarily think that the, uh, that the hires are, are justified for, um, for the franchises that they are coming to replace.
2: Yeah, this is a hire that is either going to make David Tepper look like a genius down the road or it's going to make him look like a completely idiotic owner for giving Matt Rule this type of contract. When I was going to the University of Texas at Arlington I was at a CVS right down campus. This was, this was probably about two, three years ago. And I was there shopping, and I saw Matt Rule there at Walgreens. And I, I was like, that's Matt Rule from Baylor. So I went up to go talk to him, and I introduced myself. Real cool guy, man. he a got a good vibe, positive energy, respectful enough, you know, to carry a conversation with a college student that he had no clue who I was. So I'll always remember that moment. Cool guy. But as you said, Jarrell, I mean – This is a whole nother ball game. You're talking about NFL. You're talking about veteran players that have been there for a long time. And I'm really intrigued to see what coordinators Matt Rule is going to bring with him because I think that is going to dictate if he's going to set himself up for success or not. And now I did see one name that he was interested in as his offensive coordinator, Sean Ryan, the Texans quarterback's coach. But Here's my biggest question and this is the question that a lot of people have about the Carolina Panthers, Jarrell. It's the future of Cam Newton. Did they bring Matt Rule on with the understanding that they're going to retain Newton or did they bring on Rule with the understanding that they were going to look to trade him and have Rule identify the next signal caller? So. That is a big dark cloud over Carolina right now. So it's going to be some interesting offseason scenarios for Matt Rule, David Tepper, and the Carolina
3: Panthers. Uh, yes, sir. I, 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 I've always been a firm believer that, um, you know, when you're changing people at the helm, you have to have a guy, uh, you know, not a guy that's going to necessarily come in and steal, steal the spotlight, but you have to, have to have a guy that's going to come in and motivate. Um, he's going to come in and empower people uh, that's around him, his staff, um, not necessarily be the guy that's out front, but give give people responsibilities and give them a way to be able to earn their keep uh, within the organization. Um, I just think that with this uh, being said with Cam Newton, it's a tough situation because, you know, uh, David Tepper is going to have to make some key decisions moving forward as, a, as an owner. And these decisions uh, are going to basically define his uh, his career uh, to an extent, because, you know, you're hiring a guy seven years, um, 70 million or six years, 70 million. you're you're essentially um, out to to say that he's he's going to be there for a while. And, um, you know, this is this is technically three years less than what John Gruden got. And this is in that type of range as far as the money is concerned. And so. When you look at when you look at the hire, you have to believe that David Tepper sees something in Matt Rule in which we do not see, and he believes that he he has a he has a guy in, in mind that he can keep um, at the at his tenure for the next ten to fifteen years, and so um, this decision with Cam Newton is very important because you have a, a guy that's definitely been the the face in the the city um, of Charlotte and. I mean, he's been to a Super Bowl. He's won conference championship. He's he's been a league MVP. Uh, His uh, his philanthropy work and what he does around the city is is unmatched. And so we have um, you have a guy that necessarily speaks for an entire organization. And uh, it's going to be tough to part ways with a guy like that, especially a guy that's uh, that's not in his 40s yet and still has a lot of football left to play.
2: Yeah, and that could be something his first big obstacle that he potentially has to overcome with The uh, future with Cam Newton, you know, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if Carolina decides to move on from him. Now, of course, a lot of the Panthers fan base, they would be very angry if Cam Newton was traded considering their uncertainty at the position. We all know Kyle Allen had his game or two where he looked good and then everything else was a downfall. We got to see a little bit of Will Greer. I don't think he received a big enough sample size as he was hurt, but I am very interested to see what steps the Panthers are going to take, especially now that Tepper has his guy, Matt Rule. He wanted to secure him. He knew the Giants were also interested in Rule and were set to interview him as well. But let's go to the final hiring of today, at least, the New York Giants. This one was a bit of a surprise because they hired Patriots special teams coordinator Joe Judge as their next head coach. He's 38 years old He was the youngest of seven known candidates that the Giants had been talking to. He's been mentored by Nick Saban and Belichick. The word on the street about him is that he's considered a no-nonsense guy who isn't afraid to ruffle feathers with players if necessary. And the Giants, too, under Dave Gettleman, they're looking to make a big-time hire, understanding that... They have not done a whole lot of winning. They're an NFL worst twelve and thirty six since the start of the twenty seventeen season. So, Jarrell, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Joe Judge at all, but nonetheless, what's your take on this hire?
3: Um, well, I'm I'm essentially unfamiliar with Joe Judge, um, but I do can I can tell you that, um, you know, special teams coordinators have always. Had an, an eye for being able to motivate the group uh, because essentially you're 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 crossing paths with offense and defensive players, and uh, and essentially you have to uh, get them to buy in to your program because everything doesn't everybody doesn't like to play special teams, you know, contrary to what you know what what you hear, but people understand that it is a job and it's, and it's a necessity that helps benefit the team, and so you have to have. Certain qualities and to be able to motivate guys to to respond and and um and so I, I'm unfamiliar with Joe uh, Joe Judge and and necessarily his track record, um you know if you're looking at the position of the receiver you you, you say that the Patriots haven't had um you know a lot of success as you know a, a, you know as a receiving core this year and uh, and Julian Edelman is his own man so I think. At the end of the day, uh, you know, what effect has he necessarily had at that position to where it gives you a lot of confidence moving forward? But, you know, a special teams coordinator, the Patriots have had one of the best special teams over the last five years alone. And so uh, they continue to pro- produce pro bowlers, uh, being uh, Matt Slater. And I just can I, I definitely uh, tip my hat to guys that can be able to to affect the game each and every year like they do. And so uh, I'm interested to see what what, what he can do. Uh under the, you know, the, the watch of, of David Gettleman, uh, just because of the simple fact that um, coming from a Belichick program, you know, the the necessities in order to win. And so I think it's been tough for a lot of coordinators that have taken place, uh, that have taken a step outside of new England. But I think for a guy that's been able to flow back and forth between um, different types of players, being a special teams coordinator, I mean, there's a, there's a chance that he has a, um, he he has an opportunity to to really impact this team, and with them being so youthful, I think at the at this point in time now, there's going to be a lot of guys that buy in.
2: Yeah, and as I mentioned, I mean the fact that he was a special teams assistant at Alabama from 2009 to 2011. So you're talking about going from one iconic head coach in Sabin to now working with. Bill Belichick from 2002 up to the 2019 season. So he's been around the game and around those two successful head coaches. So who knows what he can bring to the table. Obviously the Giants were sold enough on him to make him their head coach at 38 years old. But of course everybody talks about John Harbaugh model as he too was a special teams coordinator before becoming a head coach. And so there's that comparison Of course, John Harbaugh has been one of the best head coaches in the NFL, so that's kind of a lofty standard for Joe Judge. But the Giants fans are hopeful that this guy can finally come in and change the culture along with Dave Gettleman, who at this point is fighting for his job considering his poor track record of hiring Pat Shermer. He knows he needs to have a home run hire, so Joe Judge is the guy in the Big Apple. But as you talked about, Jarrell, the Browns, on the other hand, they're the only team that have not hired a head coach. They're going to interview Jim Schwartz, the Eagles, D.C. Tomorrow's Kevin Stefanski, the Vikings, O.C. on Thursday, and Patriots offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels on Friday. They've already interviewed Eric Bieniemy. Brian DeBall, Greg Roman, and 49ers, D.C. Robert Saleh. So uh, according to uh, Adam Schefter, the Browns hope to make a hire by Saturday. Of those candidates, real quickly, Jarrell, which of those do you think would be the best fit for Cleveland?
3: Um, I personally would like – I personally like the Eric uh, – how do you say his last name? Uh, uh, enemy. Uh, yeah, B-n-a-me. I just don't ever want to uh, mispronounce your, uh, someone's you, man, name. I got, man, got but, you, man. I got you. Um, but what I've been able to see out of the Kansas City offense is creativity, um, explosiveness, uh, change of pace, and uh, there. Like I've said, I've mentioned this several times before. There's there is something to be said when uh, week in and week out there are different co- there are different guys you see uh, headlining the stat sheet, and that that is a compliment to the offensive coordinator. That's a compliment to being able to spread the football around with Patrick Mahomes. And believing in every horse that you have in the stable, and I just I think that's a testament to him, him having faith and Andy Reid having faith in each other. And so I, I'm I'm really I'm really excited to see uh, what he would be able to do with the with the Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, Nick Chubb, um, they've had uh, Kareem Hunt, um, Jarvis Landry, um, and, and just a plethora of guys in that regard. I just I think it would be very exciting to see if he if you know with having these guys at his disposal, would he be able to bring that same creativity that he does, uh, that he did to, uh, Kansas city.
2: Yeah. For me, I think the guy that most intrigues me if I'm the Cleveland Browns, it's Ravens offensive coordinator, Greg Roman, for what he's been able to do for that Ravens offense constructed by Lamar Jackson, talking about the smash mouth football, Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, the fantastic usage of all the tight ends. They have Mark Andrews, Hayden Hurst and Nick Boyle. So and plus, at the same time, Jarrell, you get to weaken a divisional rival if they would hire Greg Roman as their head coach, and I think with all the talent they have there in Cleveland, he could make some magic work for those Browns fans, but we'll see where they go this weekend and when they officially make the hiring that they desire, but let's go ahead and briefly recap the wild card round so we can preview the divisional round, Jarrell. So, I know we always like to do the Offensive Player of the Week and Defensive Player of the Week, so we're going to do it, but we're going to do a playoff edition of it. Offensive standout player of the wildcard round, Jarrell. I'll go first because this is an obvious choice. I'm going to take Titans running back Derrick Henry. He was an absolute monster in upsetting the New England Patriots. He put up 184 yards. He sucked the energy out of Gillette Stadium. He was falling forward for five six seven yards per carry and he basically carried that titans offense man i mean you talk about ryan Tannehill throwing for 76 yards only henry averaging 5.4 yards per carry for me his performance was exceptional and the patriots just could not handle him at all especially as the game progressed into the third and fourth quarters
3: yeah, I think um Isaac it was uh it was definitely a, a sight to behold man when you saw the consistency that he had each and every play. Um you could just tell that he was just he was just wearing down the uh the New England Patriots man and and verbal knows uh those, the in those types of games and these types of situations This is what you have to have in order to be successful. You have to be able to run the football, to melt the clock. You have to be able to coach well, which he was able to do against the New England Patriots and and the situation that he had as well. But I think if I'm going to go with an offensive player of the week, uh, my offensive player of the week is going to be Deshaun Watson and uh, what he was able to do against the Buffalo Bills. Um, When you look at how the, the game was going, uh, and you saw the, the comeback and you saw the rise and the, and the enthusiasm that the Texans players showed, uh, J.J. Watt getting a sack, uh, Whitney Merciless coming around, getting a sack, getting a big hit. Uh, you just kind of felt that uh, it was going to be this type of game. And once Deshaun Watson started to take some things into his hands, I mean, averaging almost four yards a carry, um, having a touchdown, I'm going 20 for 25, 247 yards and a touchdown. I mean, and especially that last hit, man, where you got two guys coming at you from both angles and uh, you essentially get sandwiched and still have enough core strength to spin out of there and look downfield to complete a pass, man, to a former Bills player in Tawan Jones. And so, uh, I mean, it's it was some it was some exciting things to see. And uh, and so Deshaun Watson is is my offensive player of the week. Although Derrick Henry being a guy that continued to 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 impress, and um, he definitely displayed a, a heck of a game as well.
2: Yeah, Deshaun Watson is a good pick as well. And you know the Texans were down at the half; they were blanked again, and everybody started saying, "Here we go again." Typical Texans getting blown out on the wild card round on their home turf, but. He flipped a switch on in the second half, and he did it without Will Fuller again, who's one of his biggest down-the-field threats. And, yeah, that play was incredible but he was able to evade those defenders, get it off to Tywan Jones, and he showed some resiliency. And, again, it's in his DNA. We saw him do that at Clemson when he won the national title against Alabama. So Deshaun Watson, he had a phenomenal performance, especially down the stretch. But let's go ahead and talk about the defensive side of the ball, Jarrell. Let's talk about our standout player of the wild card round, I'm going to give it to a player that's flown under the radar that not a lot of people have been talking about, obviously. But how about Seahawks safety Bradley McDougald? This defense was stout against the Eagles on Sunday. Of course, Carson Wentz went down with the concussion. But nonetheless, Seattle, you got to give them credit. They limited the Eagles to 282 total yards of offense. And they came away with seven sacks. McDougald was one of those sacks accounted for that, but he finished the game with 11 tackles, eight solo, one sack, two and a half tackles for loss, and one quarterback hit. And a lot of people do not give this guy the credit he deserves. I mean, we know Earl Thomas left Seattle last off season, but McDougal has really done a solid job of solidifying Ken Norton's defense on the back end, and he came ready to play against the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday afternoon.
3: Yeah, I think... Uh... The Eagles-Seahawks the Eagles the game, I think, you know, you kind of knew how things were going to shape up. You, you were hoping that Doug Peterson had a, uh, a little bit of magic left in his pocket um, as far as uh, the quarterback play and, you know, being able to draw out the right play to get in the end zone uh, one more time. Um, I mean, tipped, I, I want to tip my hat off, man, uh, to Josh McCown, being able to step in there and, and literally, uh, you know, 17 years in the league and, you know, and first time playing in your first playoff game, I mean, it just it just says a lot to you know uh, uh, as far as how humble he is as a person, um, as you can see, obviously after the game. Um, but you know, it's just a testament to you know. I just want to make a shout out to him as well, man. It's just uh, it's crazy, seventeen years and and playing in your first playoff game, that's unbelievable. Uh, but um, but my defensive player, I think uh, if I had to to have a defensive player, I wanna I actually want to split this up um, because they're both teammates. They both essentially had. Uh, similar uh, statistics, but I'm going to go with Donnell Hunter and Everson Griffin out of the, uh, from the Minnesota Vikings, Donnell Hunter having five tackles, um, a sack and a half, one forced fumble, three quarterback hits and, and Everson Griffin having three tackles, uh, a sack and a half as, and as well as three quarterback hits. These guys were uh, ferocious in their, in their pursuit to Drew Brees and, and the impact that they had on the game, being able to stop not only uh, the passing game and interrupting the passes, but as well as being disruptive in the running game, the stretch plays, the tosses outside, um, creating uh, negative yardage for for the New Orleans Saints. And so, man, that's the, this is the type of performances that you have to have when you're going up against Hall of Fame type of quarterbacks with Hall of Fame coaches and uh, the system and everything at their disposal. And so I just want to tip my hat off to those guys in the trenches for being able to, to, to push through and, and having hell of a games, man. They, they're going to continue to need that moving forward
2: vikings over the saints and overtime 26 20 both those guys playing a big time role in that shutting down the saints offense keeping them in check but daniel hunter that's a guy that had 14 and a half sacks in the regular season and then he came through with that strip sack on drew Brees when they were moving the ball late in the second half so those two guys played very well for minnesota and mike zimmer let's go ahead and turn the page darrell and let's go ahead and discuss the NFL Divisional Round playoff matches that are going to start on Saturday again. We got the six-seed Vikings taking on the number one-seeded 49ers, 4.35 p.m. Eastern Time on NBC. Now, this is another intriguing matchup, Jarrell. The Vikings, we've seen it. They're very physical, smash-mouth team that can win with defense. They just shut down one of the high-powered offenses. In a hostile environment, now they take on the Niners that are coming off a first-round bye. They have the fourth-ranked offense, second in scoring, averaging nearly 30 per game. So when you take a look at this matchup, Jarrell, what are you looking to watch?
3: Uh, Well, initially, I'm going to be looking at the offensive line play of the Minnesota Vikings. Um, Can they be dominate against this this ferocious front four in the and with the San Francisco 49ers. I'm looking to see if they if they can have an uh, an impact with Kyle Rudolph, if he can have a similar impact that he had against New Orleans as far as able uh, the play action pass, the downfield throws, the moving the chains, uh, setting up uh, Dalvin Cook to be able to 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 convert on those third and shorts and having an opportunity to to put Kirk Curt Cousins in in some some good, uh, good and comfortable situations. We know that when you're going up against a ferocious defensive line uh, and you have a secondary that's able to cover, um, I think Quan Alexander is going to be activated this week. You're adding their 49ers are adding in a Pro Bowl linebacker to an already stout defense. It's You have everything is not going to be working in your favor, but I think if, if Kirk Cousins has an opportunity to come in with the same poise and the same uh, uh, persistence that he had against the New Orleans Saints, it's going to give them a hell of an opportunity to be able to make some plays against this 49ers team. And Everson Griffin and uh, Everson Griffin and Donnell Hunter have to be able to repeat the same the same style of play in order for this team to be successful. And I'm going to be looking for Linville Joseph to be able to come and make some impact as well because they need the big fellow up front as well.
2: It's going to be an entertaining watch with Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey. Going up against Griffin and Danielle Hunter. That's good on good right there. And so you know Kyle Shanahan's going to be ready with his play calls. Getting the ball out of Jimmy Garoppolo's hands quickly. Whether it's out in the flats with the bevy of running backs they use. Talk about Tevin Coleman, Raheem Mostert, Matt Breida. When it comes to picking this game, I am very tempted to go with the Vikings. Because I really like what I saw. And Kirk Cousins, man, how about that? Breaking the streak of not winning... The big-time games he comes through in the clutch for the Vikings. Made some big throws in the fourth quarter, including that big bomb to Adam Thielen. And then the game-winner to Kyle Rudolph, the 50-50 jump ball in the corner of the end zone. I think they have some momentum with them. However, I'm going to take the Niners to win. They're well-rested. You mentioned Quan Alexander, which is going to be huge to get him back on the field. And I'm just talking about that front seven of DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, and you're looking at what Fred Warner has been able to do alongside that linebacking core, Richard Sherman, an all-pro type of year. So I'm going to take the Niners to win a very tight game, 27-23. to 23. I think this one comes down to the wire, but the difference is San Francisco's defense, and I think playing on their home field
3: is going to give them that slight edge. Man, I'm actually going to oppose you at this point. I think when you get a big win against a team like New Orleans, you get a, uh, you get a team that, uh, off, your, off your back that you guys have been going at it over the last couple seasons and you put them behind you. You solely can focus now on your type of football and your brand of football. I think you they have the belief that they have an opportunity to win a big game. I don't necessarily think that uh, being out west of Santa Clara is going to be as loud as being in a dome in New Orleans. And so I think they're going to have some success, man. I I like I personally want to pers- I'm i personally going to take the Vikings in the same exact score line as you just because of the simple fact that I believe and I believe that Xavier Rose is going to come back and have a much better game uh, against the 49ers as opposed to uh, the New Orleans Saints. I think that the, the route combinations and the scheme and and the, and the multitude of guys moving around all over the place gave him a lot of. A lot of fits and a lot of trouble, man. Especially with those speedier guys in the slot. And so, I think that he'll have a little bit better uh, matchup in favor in, in going up against Debo Samuel, a much bigger receiver. Even though he's fast and physical, he he kind of fits into the frame and the scheme of, of what Xavier want, Xavier Rhodes wants to do. And so, I, I think he's going to bounce back and have a much better game. And and, I, and I'm looking for uh, Harrison Smith to have some some type of impact in the deep second in the, in the deep end. So. I personally, I'm personally going to take the Vikings, man. Twenty-seven to twenty-four as an upset on the road, man.
2: All right. So Jarrell rolling with the underdog. He's believing in the Vikings. I'm taking the Niners. Let's go ahead and talk about the second matchup on Saturday. This is going to be the night game. Six seed Titans taking on the number one seeded Ravens. Now, this is going to be a bloodbath, Jarrell. These are two teams that they specialize in smash-mouth football. You have Mike Vrabel's team coming in, Dean Pease, that defense, playing at an all-time high, basically shut down the Patriots. And then the Ravens, who we've seen it all season long under Don Wink Martindale, who was considered for the Giants head coaching job, and he looks like he's going to stay in Baltimore. But he has put out an angry unit led by Brandon Williams up front, Earl Thomas solidifying the back end, Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters. I am looking forward to seeing the battle in the trenches, Tennessee's offensive line, go up against Baltimore's D-line, who have been very stingy against the run. And we all know that Derrick Henry is their bread and butter. So if Baltimore can really limit Derrick Henry, which is going to be a tall task, the Ravens have a good shot at winning this game. So, what are you looking at in terms of the Titans and the
3: Ravens? Uh, well, I think for me, it would be, uh, can the secondary hold up in those scramble-like situations? I think when, when you know, everything is going to be on Lamar Jackson, when all eyes are on Lamar Jackson, it's going to be very important for these cornerbacks and uh, of the Tennessee Titans to plaster to their man and, and not necessarily get caught up in the glitz and glamour. I think... As coaches, you're going to have opportunities to to make a, a big emphasis on the the style of play and, and the guy that we want to focus on this week. But if you're a defensive back in the secondary, your eyes is always going to be on your on your man. If you're in a zone, you got to plaster to the man in your zone. I think if they can eliminate the, the the big plays, the big explosive plays when Lamar Jackson scrambles around, then they can they'll have an opportunity in the game uh, to make some plays of their own. Ryan Tannehill is going to have to be able to stretch the football field. Um, A.J. Brown's going to have to have an intricate part of this. Uh, he's going to have to be an intricate part of this team in order for them to be successful. And they're going to have to get on the football early and often in order for them to open up uh, lanes for Derrick Henry and the, the rushing attack. Because we know that they're going to come in and they're going to try to pound it uh, down Baltimore on the Ravens' throat. But they I mean, they've got some hefty guys up front. Uh, when you're talking about Brandon Williams, you're talking about Paco. Um, You're talking about Matt Judon. I mean, these guys are these guys are are real big, hefty men that that have the capabilities of of stoning the offensive line, and um, and they continue to have have success. And so um, he's going to be able. He's going to have to be able to. Ryan Tannehill is going to have to be able to stretch the field. He's going to have to make Earl Thomas feel uncomfortable. I don't necessarily know. I think that's going to be a tall task for him as far as making a, a future Hall of Famer feel uncomfortable. But um, it's going to have to come down to A.J. Brown and, and, and Ryan Tannehill being able to stretch the field. And uh, it's going to have and it's going to come down to the Tennessee Titans uh, cornerbacks being able to plaster when uh, Lamar Jackson goes on the run. Um, but I'm personally going to still take the Baltimore Ravens. I think it's going to be a close one just because of how well coached the Tennessee Titans are uh, with Mike Vrabel. And so I'm going to actually take this in a high scoring game of 31 to 28.
2: I'm also going to take the Ravens to win this game. I think in the end, Lamar Jackson and that offense. I know Mark Ingram, his status is up in the air. He felt some tightness, so he was held out of today's practice. But nonetheless, if say he's limited, they still have Gus Edwards and Justice Hill, who can go in there and and run with some explosiveness behind Baltimore's efficient offensive line. But I think. This game is going to be relatively low scoring in my eyes, and I can see it being within one score possession in the third, but in the fourth, the Ravens will open it up a little bit. So I have Baltimore taking it 26 to 16 over the Titans. I don't think there's enough offense generated from Ryan Tannehill, which is going to need to be the case if the Titans want any chance. So it should be a good game, Smash Mouth. A lot of Big-time hits coming from two physical teams. We'll see how that one unfolds, but we're both going with the Ravens. Let's talk about game number three of four. This is on Sunday, 4C Texans taking on the 2C Chiefs. Now, this is a rematch from earlier this year, week six. The Texans went to Kansas City and beat them 31-24. Now, a lot has changed for both sides, Jarrell, since then. Who are you going to take to win this game?
3: Man, this is a tough one as well, uh, just because of, you know, the play, uh, the play and the excitement of J.J. Watt um, definitely fueled that defense in the, in the 16 point uh, comeback that they had. Uh, but I just think that the Chiefs are going to be too much for the Texans. I think that, you know, if, if the Chiefs, if this gets into a back to back scoring match, I think the Chiefs have just too much firepower offensively for them to be able to, to for the Texans to be able to keep up as well as the improved play of their defense. I mean, their defense uh, was essentially giving up, you know, four. I think they were giving up 13.9 uh, points per game over their last four games. And so they continue to improve. They're healthy. They're ready to play. And I, I personally think the Chiefs are going to be too much for the, uh, the Texans.
2: On that note, Kansas City, yeah, they have stiffened lately. They're allowing just 10.4 points per game and 292. Okay, there we go. Yeah, 292 total yards per game with seven turnovers over five games since their bye week. So they have hunkered down. You're starting to see Frank Clark starting to show his potential coming off the edge, and Steve Spagnolo has his guys playing at a high level. Now, it is worth noting, Drew, that they did lose promising safety Juan Thornhill to that torn ACL that he suffered in the regular season finale but Tyron Matthews had himself a year there in Kansas City Patrick Mahomes in this offense Tyreek Hill Travis Kelsey those guys are going to be a little bit too overwhelming for the Texans but I do see another shootout coming but give me the Chiefs 34 to 30 over the Houston Texans I think they get revenge from earlier this season to close out the divisional round drill, we have the five-seeded Seahawks taking on the two-seed Green Bay Packers, 6:40 p.m. Eastern Time. I know you're excited to see this game in particular. Give me your thoughts and your winner of this
3: matchup. I think I personally, I personally, I personally like. I want to take the. I want to take the Green Bay Packers. Um, I personally want to. I do want to take them. I just think that. It's really tough for me, man. When I'm looking at when I'm looking at the the, I'm looking at the team, I'm looking at, you know, it's going to be in Lambeau It's going to be tough. We know what what brings uh, what comes to Lambeau. Um, It's going to be snow showers and this week as well. So I know that Marshawn Lynch is going to play a vital role. The running game for the Green Bay Packers is going to play a vital role. And it's tough, man. I want to I definitely want to take Aaron Rodgers and, and the Green Bay Packers moving forward. I just think that you know Marshawn Lynch and his resurgence and what he's been able to do for this offense, um, the explosive play of DK Metcalf and the uh, the constant uh, disruption of Jadavian Clowney. I know that he's playing with that with that core muscle injury, and I know it's going to be tough, and I know it's 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 strenuous, but that this like just just the pure disruption that he causes on an offensive side of the ball. Uh, create so many plays for other players around him, and so I just think that that's gonna that's gonna be proven true when it comes to disrupting this Packers running game because we know that Aaron Jones is the is the is the bell cow and the energizer for this uh, Packers offense, and we don't necessarily want to get into a game where you have an opportunity to just put it in the hands of Aaron Rodgers because we know that he can make amazing plays. It's just really the supporting cast around him that I'm concerned because it's not a James Jones anymore, it's not a Randall Cobb. It's not a Jordy Nelson. It's really Devon. It's really Devonte Adams, and he's had he's had a he's had a plethora of guys that have had success under him, but just not at the levels it's 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 take uh, it takes to be, to win a Super Bowl. And so I think Aaron Jones is going to have to to be a vital part of their success in order for them to uh, to be even in this game. Because I think the Seahawks are going to come in. They're going to be hungry, having a game that I already uh, won uh, the week before. And so I think it's going to be a close game with Seattle uh, pulling the upset 27-24. Uh, to 24.
2: Wow, yeah, that's a tight game. And I've also been on the fence about who to take in this game. But Jarrell, I'm going to take your Packers to win this game. I understand that the Seahawks, you know, they're coming in with that stifling front seven led by Jadavion Clowney. You look at Bobby Wagner, the success he's had, and Quandre Diggs, which was a Fantastic acquisition for Pete Carroll, Ken Norton on that defensive side. But I really believe, Jarrell, that Aaron Jones is going to be the story for Green Bay on Sunday. He's already emerged as a breakout star in Green Bay's offense. He rushed for over a 1,000 yards, 16 rushing touchdowns. And then you look at Devontae Adams. And if you were watching the Eagles game, Josh McCowan was picking them apart at times down the stretch. I was sitting there thinking, like, man, if they're having a hard time stopping Josh McCown in this Eagles offense that was playing with, you know, practice squad players, I said they're going to have their work cut out for them going up against Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. I just checked the forecast. It's going to be in the 20s on Sunday evening. So I do think that Green Bay is going to come out with the Smith brothers are also going to be a pivotal part coming off the edge, pressuring Russell Wilson keeping him in the pocket and I think they're going to get to him a couple of times and they're going to get him in altering situations that are going to give the Packers good field position so give me the Packers to win 23-17 over the Seattle Seahawks.
3: Man to be honest with you uh, my heart hopes you're right um, as far as uh, your prediction man just because I'm such a Green Bay fan and um, you know, I just haven't been a part of that organization and what they stand for. Man, I always pull for guys who actually do the, who do it right. And so I think I definitely want to I definitely would like for you to be more right than me. I just I think it uh, I just think when when I'm looking at this, te- this team and, um, you know, the way the Seattle uh, Seahawks are built, I understand that they they've had lapses in their secondary, but it's really the play up front. And uh, Bobby Wagner, uh, Jadavian Clowney, um, Ziggy Ansah. We don't necessarily know if he's going to play. Um, I know he had. I know he went down with a neck injury last week, so I don't necessarily know if he's going to play at this moment. But I think that uh, if they can have guys become disruptive if, like they did uh, with Jaren Reed and those guys coming down the stretch, uh, like that, uh, like. Against Philadelphia, then they'll definitely pose a threat against the Green Bay Packers. Man, and they'll uh, and if Aaron Rodgers continues to hold on to the ball late and down, how they how he how he's been accustomed to doing.
2: Well, that does it. That's the final game of the divisional round, and that's going to do it for this week's podcast. So, Jarrell, I'm looking forward to watching some good football starting on Saturday and Sunday. As always, I appreciate you taking the time to join me. Have a blessed rest of the week
3: man i appreciate it uh isaac for having always having me on the show um to be able to talk about you know this great game of football um i personally want to give out give a shout out to my guy and next teammate kirk cousins man uh hell of a game last week uh being able to continue to show poise uh, when a lot of people are continuing to count you out man uh, no matter what bro continue to keep moving forward um i'm always rooting for guys that uh that are the underdogs so um, shout, out, shout out to a lot of those guys that are fighting through, and, and um, I'm just excited, man, about moving forward.
2: We'll be back next week. So until then, Jarrell, take care, man. God bless.
3: My man, thank you.
4: You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable.